Good morning. I have a lot of space up here. There's a, there's a podcast that I've uh, been listening to recently that I've I really come to love. Uh, about 25 of us men from Covenant went to uh, Wolf Creek a few weeks ago for a little ski retreat, which was, was a great time. But it's like a 15-hour drive, and uh, we needed some podcasts to, to take us on our way. So I got introduced to this podcast on this trip. It's called How I Built This. You guys ever heard it? Yeah. Great. So two of you who like podcasts. Um, <laughs> nerds together. Uh, it's, it's a really awesome podcast. It's, it's basically about how entrepreneurs and innovators have built their companies. And uh, it's fascinating to explore kind of the humble and, and at times very fragile beginnings of these companies that we've kind of come to know as giants, right? Companies like Dell and uh, Patagonia, Chipotle. Uh, it's, it's, it's a great podcast. And one of the, the themes that I've heard kind of emerge from these stories as these people are, are interviewed is that at some point uh, along the way on their journey, uh, every single one of these innovators, entrepreneurs, needed help from someone. And they had someone to turn to, right? They, they, they had a parent or they had an in-law, uh, a friend, uh, uh, some connection that essentially uh, gave them a break. And it contributed to the kind of overall success that, that, um, that they experienced. And I love hearing this, right? Because I don't know about you, but when I think about these companies, these inventions, I tend to think that, that they were kind of invented by like mad scientists who are kind of alone, uh, like lone, lone wolves, and they, they build these things all by themselves. So it's a good reminder, right, to, to remember that even you know, someone like Steve Jobs had, had Woz you know, uh, in his garage helping him build and invent what, what later became uh, known as Apple. The point is that, that nobody makes it alone. And what's true about these inventors, these innovators, these entrepreneurs, and, and the industry world, it's true generally about our lives, uh, too, that, that we don't flourish by ourselves. We don't flourish by ourselves. In the section of this book, The Me I Want to Be, that we've been, we've been reading as a church, um, as we've been going through Lent, whether on our own or in the context of a group, uh, this week, um, John Ortberg, in the section that we're going to read, suggests this, makes this claim. More than anything else, we are shaped by people. More than anything else, we are shaped by people. It's quite a claim. Spending time with people who care about us is indispensable to human flourishing. Why don't you just think about that for a second? Think about your own life. Think about your own formation, who you are, how you become that person. I'm willing to bet that, that uh, some of the most transformational experiences in your own life have come as a result or have linked to a significant relationship that you had with someone. Watching someone's example, someone taking time to have a conversation with you. And yet, even as there are more tools for us to be connected with one another, many of us kind of languish from disconnection. Don't you find it fascinating that at one of the, the, the most connected times in human history, we're living in now, right? We are more connected than we have ever been before. That during this time, the prime minister of the, of the UK, right, appoints a minister for loneliness. To pay attention to the ways in which people are isolated. The ways that isolation has drastic effects on their emotional health and on their physical health. Right? The research that's, that's connecting isolation to physical health is, is really interesting right now. One of our new slogans for small groups is, like, join a group, don't die. It's, <laughs> 
I don't know how to be any clearer than that. It will, literally, the research says, a regular meeting with people like increases your chance of life. Take it for what it is. During the season of Lent, right, as you are examining your life, as you are uh, considering the ways in which God is, is calling you to repentance, calling you into a, renew, a renewed relationship, it's a good time to kind of take an inventory of your life, to consider whether or not you're making relationships with other people a top priority. And perhaps to, to slow down and to invite the, the transforming presence of God into your life through something as very simple and ordinary as, as friendship. So our text for this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. But before we read, I just want to invite you, I like to do this, I want to just invite you to just be quiet for a moment. Um, there's a lot of noise in our lives. Um, there are breaking news alerts. There's just a great basketball tournament going on right now. Um, and this noise from outside the world gets inside of us. And we kind of carry it wherever we go. And we're carrying it even now in this place. And it tends to kind of crowd out what's holy. So I just want to invite you just to briefly just take a moment to be quiet. If you have to close your eyes, great. Just be still and be quiet to prepare yourself to hear what it is that God might be saying through this text to you. Listen now for the word of the Lord. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door. And he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this fellow speak in this way? It's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And at once, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves, and he said to them, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up. And immediately took the mat and went out before all of them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. The word of the Lord. Pray with me. Holy God, be gracious to us as we are here seeking a word that only you can give. You have our attention. Speak. We are listening. 
in the name of Jesus Christ who forgives sins and heals us. Amen. So Mark is, is putting on a clinic here for how to tell a story, right? I mean, this story is filled with mystery. It's got these enigmatic characters that, that kind of surprise you at each twist and turn of the story. And of course, no one is, is as surprising a character as Jesus, who, after he performs this miracle, leaves everyone amazed. Right? We've never seen anything like this before. There's a lot of layers to the story, and as, as you peel them back, Right? I think what we find at the center of the story is a story of friendship. Right? And that through uh, the faith of these friends, maybe through the faith of your friends, right, that you are carried toward the healing that you need most. That's what re- this whole story revolves around. It begins and ends with these friends who bring this man and lower him to Jesus. As Orberg points out, we need friends to flourish. We need them for companionship. We need them for support for encouragement. We need them when we are caught in just times of despair and in grief, when we're just feeling overwhelmed. And if you've ever tried to like party by yourself, you know it's terrible. It's terrible. It's awkward. You need friends to celebrate with, the moments that, that bring you joy in your life. But most of all, we need our friends to carry us when we can't carry ourselves, right? The forms of our paralysis are as different as we are. Some are physical, as they were in this text, but not all. Some are the result of our own choices. Some just happen to us. Maybe you are in a mess because of some of the decisions that you've made. Maybe your parenting failures have made it almost impossible to have a relationship with your adult children. Maybe you are stuck inside of a loveless, empty relationship or a marriage. Maybe the job that you have right now is just slowly sucking the life out of you. You've been doing it too long. You can't change. Maybe you're sick. You don't know what's next. Or your faith is just a flicker of the fire that it once was. You're stuck. You can't move. And what our soul longs for in these moments, right, is a true friend. And as I think we all know, but it bears saying out loud, right, a true friend is not the person that we see at various parties across the city. It's not the person that you text, you know, for like 10 weeks in the fall to commiserate about your favorite college football team. It's a lot of commiseration lately. A true friend is the person to whom you can confess that you're stuck. A true friend actually might be the person who knows you're stuck before the confession even makes it to your lips. The question is, what do, what do our friends have to offer us in these moments in our lives? In her uh, recent book, um, Everything Happens for a Reason, and Other Lies I've Loved. Professor and author Kate Bowler describes her experience of living with stage four cancer. It's truly a remarkable book about suffering and and friendship and uh, the mystery that surrounds each of our lives. 
Um, if you're not someone who like loves to cry in public, I would read it at your house. Um, it's just a fair warning, uh, just some advice uh, from a mistake I made. Um, right? So it's a really good book. I highly recommend it. And um, in the back of the book, she provides these two really helpful appendices. And these appendices are, are, are worth the entire uh, book itself. But Appendix 1 is entitled, Absolutely Never Say This to People Experiencing Terrible Times, a short list. All right, the list contains all of the examples that you can probably think of that people use to, to, to try to minimize or rationalize or otherwise solve the suffering of other people. Right? The, the minimizers almost always begin with, well, at least it's not X, right? You've, you've had this said to you. The rationalizers fall back on, you know, everything must happen for a reason, and so that's what they tell you. Um, there's n literally nothing more infuriating than hearing that. Um, the solvers are the kind of people that spend too much time on Google, right, trying to solve your problems for you. So they're the people who usually begin with, like, well, I've done some research online, right, as if you, you haven't been to, you know, 19 specialists or something else. Right? I imagine that in this room there are a lot of us who have been on the receiving end of people's really good intentions, but terrible, terrible advice. Is this what our friends have to offer us when we are stuck? Is it advice? Is it reassurance? Is it a, a query of Google searches that you could have done on your own? For all we know, the friends from our text for today might have made these same mistakes too. I mean, probably not Google. But by the time we catch up with them, they're not giving advice. They're not reassuring their friend everything will be okay. They're not shaming him. They're not blaming him. They're they just carrying him to Jesus. Carrying him to Jesus. They've reached a point of perhaps desperation. Such desperation that not only do they carry him there, but they rip off the roof, like dig through it. I don't, I don't really understand the sequence or how these roofs are built because they said they, they, they tore the roof off and then still had to dig. It's a really hardy roof. But if you're looking for a, a modern-day equivalent to this practice, right, of carrying your friends to Jesus, we, we call this prayer. We call this prayer. If, you, if you've ever asked anyone who's been stuck, anyone who's been in trouble, they'll tell you, right, a few things. That, that friends, friends are the ones who show up when you are in need, right? They're just there. They got on a flight. They drove across town. They kind of don't leave, right? They're just there. They're present to you. These friends don't typically offer judgment <laughs> when they arrive. Right? They're, not, they're not blaming you. They're not trying to des describe to you how to get out of this situation. But they do pray. They do pray. Right? And prayer is the acknowledgement that there's something about the situation that is more than I can handle alone. There's more trouble here than I can fix by myself. So prayer is. It's our, our way of lowering our friends to Jesus. And, and it is the most powerful thing that we can do on our own agency, is to pray. Pray for our friends. Mark tells us that when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Mark doesn't give us any indication as to what this guy is thinking as he's being lowered. We have no idea what's going through his head. I imagine that he's embarrassed. There's about a hundred less conspicuous ways to do this thing. Just wait. First of all, just wait for Jesus to come out of the house, right? We also don't know what his faith is like. 
or if he has any at all to speak of. We don't know that. Jesus, all we're told is that Jesus saw their faith and that somehow it was enough. I don't know about you, but I find so much comfort in this, in this text, right? The day will come for you if it hasn't already when you won't have enough faith. You won't have enough strength. You won't have enough hope. And you're going to have to rely on, in that moment, the faith of other people. And the good news, according to the Gospel of Mark, is that it will be enough. It's a promise. It will be enough. It's puzzling, though, isn't it, that, that Jesus forgives this guy's sins? That's, I mean, he's paralyzed. It's not, it's clearly like not what he's there for. And the first thing out of Jesus' mouth is, son, your sins are forgiven. It startles the religious leaders. It startles us, the readers. And if you're the friends who carried him and lowered him through the roof, you could be forgiven for being a little upset, a little disappointed uh, for all the work that you put into this. And I, I don't know entirely what to make of this. I, re I really don't. It's, it's wonderful storytelling. But I do know that, that part of carrying our friends to Jesus means giving over the outcome to Jesus as well. That's a part of our faith. It's a part of our trust in the God who can heal us. It's giving over the outcome to Jesus as well. And we know that Jesus eventually gets to healing his body, but that doesn't seem to be his priority. Right? His priority is the forgiveness of sin, and he is the only one, he says, who can offer it. In the ancient world, uh, it, was, it was commonplace to think that there was a connection between your sinfulness and, and your physical condition. So it was often that people who were diseased or people who had different conditions were blamed f for those conditions, right? Thought that they had done something to deserve it. We know that scripture uh, has a counter opinion to this, right? If you've ever read the, read the book of Job, Job did nothing to deserve what came of him, right? There's another place in the Gospels where the disciples ask Jesus about someone who can't see. It says, was this the sin of his parents or his sin that led to this? And Jesus dismisses that line of inquiry, right? Maybe this is a way that Jesus pastors this, this man in front of him, as if to say, right, this condition this thing going on in your life is not the result of your mistakes. Can you imagine the guilt and the shame that this man must have been carrying around in a culture that blamed him for the condition that he was in? And so before we rush to the, the healing miracle, let's sit with this forgiveness. Right? Forgiveness is its own kind of healing too. It enlarges our future, sets us free from the guilt and shame that casts a dark shadow over our lives as well. It may be that many of us, actually, the thing that's paralyzing us is our own shame. And forgiveness is the healing that, that you and I need most. And the thing about forgiveness is that it's not something that you can give to yourself. Not this kind. It's something that you have to receive. Right, of all the spiritual disciplines of, of prayer and reading the Bible and rest and, and worship and service, all those disciplines, forgiveness is something that we have to receive from someone else. 
In the section we're reading this week from the Me I Wanna Be, Ortberg's got these great questions that he gives to us. An inventory, I think, of connectedness is what he calls it. These six questions that you can use to kind of consider whether or not you um, have the kinds of relationships that might one day carry you. So these questions he offers are, are when, when something goes wrong, do I have at least one friend I can easily talk with about it? Do I have a friend I can drop in on at any time without calling ahead? Is there someone who could accurately name my greatest fears and temptations? Do I have one or more friends whom I meet with regularly? Do I have a friend I know well enough to trust their confidentiality? And if I received good news like a promotion, do I have a friend I would call immediately just to let them know? These are really great questions. And I invite you this week to spend some time with them as a spiritual practice, just considering whether or not relationships are playing the kind of role in your life that they, they ought to. But based on this story from Mark's gospel, I might add one more. Do I have a friend that will remind me every now and then, and especially when I am stuck, of the forgiveness offered by Jesus Christ? A friend whose first instinct is, is not to give me advice, not to reassure me that everything will work out, but to be present to me, to pray for me, and to remind me that no matter how stuck I am, in a mess of my own making or not, and I'm never unworthy of the mercy of God. That, that is the kind of friend that without whom we will never truly flourish. Amen? Let's pray together. Holy God, let this story shake us up. Let it disrupt our lives in ways that lead to our transformation. May it not be that, that as we examine our lives and find that we do not have the significant relationships that we need, may it not be that we feel the guilt or burden of shame of that, but that we have resolve to go in a new direction, to invite someone into our life, to be vulnerable enough to be carried to you by someone else. We give you thanks for the ways, all of the ways in which you heal us. Fill us with your spirit and send us from here changed, transformed, and ready to take up the work that you have for us. Amen.